0: Church, we are not those who go back if we've been saved, if we have been filled with the Holy Spirit as Christians, we are not those who go back. Um, But there's an issue in our culture uh, where people identify more with the enemy today, the captor than they do with Christ And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. And I have a serious uh, story to share here at the beginning that deals with uh, suffering. And then we will get into salvation. But in 1976, a young couple, Julio and Kendra Torres, they were celebrating their first anniversary. They decided to go camping in the forest of Oregon, Mount Hood camping and fishing, and along with their collie, their little dog went with them. And while they were there, they met a man named Thomas Brown, who promised to show them great, a great fishing spot. I and mean, it was a place that people traveled to to do a lot of fishing. And before long, this man shot Julio, shot Kendra's dog, and we see this thing happened, this traumatic event, they would go and see the police, and they told the police that the shooting was an accident, and that Kandra corroborated the story of Thomas that it was an accidental shooting. The shooting happened when he passed the rifle to Julio, and then he had to shoot the dog because it was trying to protect the woman and attack him. And this story went through. They actually did a polygraph, and they both passed the polygraph test. But time passed on. The next morning, after Kendra had separated from her captor, different memories came to mind. And she began to tell her mother, and her mother told her she needed to go back to the police. So three days later, she returned to the police, and she changed her story. It turns out... That this man murdered her husband, shot her dog, and took her further into the woods and raped her for three days and begged her to take his story. And so why would Kendra take the side of the captor, the side of the murderer of her husband? And what we understand today, and they allowed this in the court case, is this is classic Stockholm syndrome. One of the psychiatrists that helped coin the term Stockholm syndrome said there are a lot of ironic things that can happen when people are traumatized, including that a captive who often thinks he or she is going to die might end up having positive feelings toward the hostage taker. There's a trauma that happens, and now they are in survivor mode, and they, uh, the captor almost becomes their friend because they know if they're kind to them, they may survive this thing. And Kendra only went back to tell the police her changed account after her mother realized what had happened. and Luckily, even though they took a polygraph after, and she failed the polygraph the second time, Luckily, Brown confessed his crime to a cellmate while he was arrested and waiting in jail. Taking into account his confession, together with Kendra's testimony, helped Brown be put away and he went to prison in 1977. He is still incarcerated at the Oregon State Penitentiary today. Classic case used in law and understanding of the mind of Stockholm Syndrome. Now church, Why do I share that with you today? I understand our culture demands that if I go to church on special Sundays, um, that we are supposed to get a message that makes me feel good. And I want you to know this is going somewhere. Why would the pastor be talking about such a traumatic event in church? I want to hear something nice about Jesus. And there's something important here I want you to see, because I think at large, a lot of the Christian church today is suffering from spiritual Stockholm syndrome. The many have come to believe in Jesus Christ. They said they have repented from their sins, but as they pursue Jesus, they are still identifying with the enemy. In Christianity, people are actually repeating words that the enemy would say. They are still repeating things that the enemy has actually told you. You are not good enough. You are this horrible person when Christ has saved you, and you are a child of God. Satan wants you to stay under his authority. I have watched this, and this is not a message on a pro-life, even though the church of Jesus Christ is a pro-life church. Uh, I had someone tell me on a Sunday morning I went to another church and they're not pro-life and I said not every church is a church. Not every Christian is a Christian. But we have people even in Christianity repeating the words the enemy would say that it is okay to kill a baby. Why would people in Christianity ever think that is okay? It's because you believe the words of the enemy that your personal rights are more important than life What is the argument people repeat? Well, what if they're raped? There's incest. The percentage of abortions that are from rape is 1%. From incest, 0.05. There are 64 plus million babies that have been killed. And people in the church are saying, well, it's a right. If they can't take care of the baby, they should they should kill the baby. And here we are. Spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. Now, we're going to get into the scripture in a moment. We will be repeating what Mary um, read for us today from Exodus chapter 14. Um, but before we do, I want you to repeat after me and say it. By the way, Pastor Derek is saying some serious stuff, isn't he? And you guys are frowning. You know what I do in messages? I amen. You know why because i hear truth and i'm I'm glad to hear it even if it's hard truth or good truth whatever the truth is i want to hear it so let's take a breath this morning breathe in (sighs) doesn't that feel good let's say this together moms are great moms are great there the smile is (laughs) we got it we got it repeat after me all scripture is breathed out by god and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is true. Amen. Let's get in Exodus chapter 14. This is the word of God to us. When Pharaoh drew near to the people, the exodus is happening. They're making their way out of Egypt. Pharaoh is pursuing them now. He drew near. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. Now I want you to know at this point, they have already seen the miracles of God. There's no strange thing. They know that God flexed his mighty hand and showed that he is God and Pharaoh is just a man. And the people of Israel cried out to God. They said to Moses, rather than saying, deliver us, it is always a complaint. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't that what a lot of people say when they start to follow God? Why God? Would you allow me to go through these challenges? And you begin to bicker and complain rather than asking for God to move in this situation. Is not this what you, we said to you when we were in Egypt? They've been saying this all along. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. What does that statement mean, by the way? Don't free us. Let us remain slaves. For it would have been better for us to serve our slave masters than to die in The wilderness and Moses said to the people fear not stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today for the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again amen the Lord will fight for you you have only to be silent be silent and listen to the Lord the Lord said to Moses why do you cry to me tell the people of Israel to go forward Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And they did. Let's pray together today. God in heaven, we thank you for your words. And Lord, I thank you for your truth in a world of lies. And I pray today that you shine your light into our hearts. And Lord, that as we recognize that we are in a dark world, I pray that we live out the light of life That people see you in our lives Lord. that we believe this truth, that we live it out, that we do not go back to the enemy, that we do not believe the words of the enemy, that we do not adopt what they say, that we are the true church. We are a people of truth. We are a people of life and love and light in this world. And let people see that we are authentic. And even when we make mistakes, we return to Christ and ask for forgiveness. And we confess our sins that people may know that we are the people that believe in a forgiving God. Who also radically transforms lives. Lord, we thank you for bringing us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. That we may be made new in the spirit of Christ. I pray also that you breathe your spirit into our sanctuary today. Into the lives of your people. Lord, give them fresh wind in their life. Lord, that you renew them in the spirit of their mind, that they believe in you and are refreshed and filled with the spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, church, we've completed our extended sermon series in the life of Jesus. It's the longest message series I've preached. And uh, and we've actually completed the book of Acts, both of Luke's books. Uh, so you've completed two books of the Bible together. We've done this together as a church. If you've been in some of our other classes, you've gone through many more books. As uh, Jarvis is going through 1 Peter. You just completed James. Um, Liz and Steve's class are going through the in, in The Old Testament. Have you guys finished the first five books yet? All right. They've made it out of the Pentateuch. So they're in the book of Judges now. Uh, Merit's going to be going through the book of John in the future. We are a church that believes in the Word of God. That it is what we need. We need the truth of the Lord. But we've gone through these series, and there was a reason for that. The reason we went through Acts is for us to see what the church was doing in the first century. How are they being used of God? They were filled with the Spirit. They preached the Gospel. They preached the resurrection. They, the, the church grew and flourished because people believed and they didn't back down. And even when they were arrested, they rejoiced. We will obey God rather than men when they were told to stop preaching. Don't do this. You're going to get in trouble. We would rather obey God. We don't care what you would do for, to us. And so here it is. And... Um, I have another series we're going to go through in the near future. Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, But before we do, I have some things uh, that I want to talk to the church about. Uh, There's things that I feel like the Lord has given me to preach about. There's cultural issues that the church needs to be speaking to. In fact, Christianity is a totalizing worldview. It lays claims on all subjects. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, and the message that we have affects all areas of life. It it gets into every area of life. We have authority in speaking about life. We have authority in speaking about every political issue that is known to man. We get to lay claim to economics and and to finances, into life, into uh, the human beliefs, that Christ has made us in the image of God and we have value. He has meaning and you have value and meaning. That you are made by a God who loves you, who created you, who has a design for you in his image. That we would reflect it in this world. And though some have gone away or many have gone away, we still preach this message. We want people saved and we want to speak into all areas of life in every issue. And here's our message, that Jesus saves entirely. That you're not just kind of saved. It's not just, I still believe the same way and I have a little bit of Jesus, or I have a lot of the world and and sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on this and sprinkle a little Christianity on it. That is not what we believe at all. We believe that you were saved by grace through faith, that you were born again and the Holy Spirit actually comes into your life. And we're going to preach about that in the near future too the infilling of the Holy Spirit that actually regenerates you, that you are spiritually reborn. And now you are a child of heaven. You are a child of God. But many still show loyalty to the old life. And that's what I want to deal with today. So the first thing we're going to deal with is don't go back to the enemy. I mean, here it is. God has rescued these people. And the first thought is, we just have to go back and you will face the same thing. You start to believe in Jesus Christ. You're trying to do right. You're trying to pursue Him. And there's going to be some challenges. It tells us here in the text, Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not have been better for us to go back to Egypt? Again, they say this. And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader to go back to Egypt. That is radical. I'm reading that as a pastor, as a Christian, and looking back and just seeing all the marvelous things that God has done. And in that, I even see what churches want. A lot of times, churches want a leader that's not going to lead them into the mission, they want a leader that's going to lead them back into the way things were. And if you haven't caught on yet, we are in the 21st century. We're 22 years in, by the way. Things are different. And we have new challenges to face. And there are people who are tucking tail and running back and they want things the way they've always been in the church. And I'm going to tell you what, that is not working. We need to be a people who are adapting to culture, but that we are speaking clearly to the issues at hand and still providing the good news of Jesus Christ. Church, we have the message of hope. We have the message the world needs. Several times as God is delivering the people, they complain about how they had it better in Egypt. I think that's radical to think about. We had it better as slaves than we have it with God our Savior. In this text, they're on the verge of entering the promised land. God has already promised them this good and broad land flowing with milk and honey. Now raise your hand if you've ever been on a low-carb diet. Dairy diet, you have to take some dairy out, fattening products. I'm going to let you know if God made that promise, you'd break your diet. You're like, I'm going into that promised land. He offers us dairy. He offers us uh, sweets and goods. And here's what the people say. We want the slave food. God offers us better things, church. It is better promises. It is a better life. It is the presence of God and all his goodness. And what did the people do? They sent in spies. They sent in 12 spies into this land they were supposed to take. The very reason that God gave Abraham this promised child, the reason God delivered the people out of Egypt, was to go into the promised land. They sent in 12 spies as they prepare to take the land, and they come back and they have a report. The majority has a negative report. What is their report? There's giants in the land. Now, while they were there, they're snooping about, they're figuring out what's going on there, and they found huge, giant-sized food, grape clusters that were huge, pomegranates, and it would take two men to hold this load on their shoulders. They're bringing it back. And ten people were complaining, and the two said, we can take the giants. And they remind them, look at the food. I mean, it's awesome that God is giving spiritual blessings along with the physical blessings. So why did they act this way? And here's the deal. Satan can have you so afraid that you see the problems rather than the promises. Isn't this what people see? It happens in your life. It happens as you're pursuing Jesus Christ. He's calling you to this wonderful life and pursuing Him, that He blesses you, He fills you with the Spirit. It is away from sin. It is the presence of God, the infilling of His life with you, the community of the saints, eternity, eternal life. But we always see the problems first rather than the promises of God. Why did they act this way? Because they were conditioned to being slaves. And this is what we have to deal with today. This was their norm. This is all they knew. And if you have been a slave to sin 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of your life, you are conditioned to think like a slave to sin. You're conditioned to do life like the world does life. That's what I'm talking about. When we come into Christianity, we are still bringing in prescripts from the world, pre-thinking that we've been conditioned to think and to say. There's people still in Christianity today regurgitating the lies of the world. And you have to say, that's not scriptural at all. That's not biblical. That's not the truth of God. That is the lies of the enemy. And people are conditioned to say and think these things. But we want to intercept the lies as God's people. We want to recondition our minds. Actually, the Bible tells us to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, to be transformed by the spirit of God in your mind. That is, there's a metamorphosis that takes place. That you had this old thinking. Now there is new thinking. It is heavenly thinking. It is peaceful. It is joyful. Why are people so negative? Because the world has taught them that way. They're discouraged, they're depressed, and I'm not talking about clinical depression, but I believe God can deliver you from clinical depression. Uh, The church made some errors along the way, and they just told people to pray and read the Bible, and everything's going to be fine, and I think sometimes people need medicine because there's clinical issues, there are physical issues. Uh, But some people are discouraged and depressed and lack of joy, lack of peace because they have not accepted Jesus Christ into their life because they're still doing life like slaves In Egypt, though God has given us better promises, they are brainwashed to thinking the way the enemy told them to think. They cannot understand the possibility of thriving because they've been surviving. They have an affinity for the enemy because the enemy fed them scraps and kept them alive, and that's all they had, just a little bit of good along with a lot of bad. That is everybody's testimony that has ever come to Christ That a little good and a lot of bad. When you come to Jesus Christ, it is all good, though you're gonna face some hard times. Many today have spent so much time with the enemy that they use the words his deception, his false promises. In the beginning, it sets the tone. God tells Adam, Do not eat of the fruit in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden. The day you eat that fruit, you shall surely die. I mean, separation from God, spiritual separation, that is. Um, Adam lived 920 years. But Satan comes along, and this is what he does. You won't really die. And that's what Satan is doing to people within Christianity, within the church. Um, It's not going to be that bad. And it is that bad. If you have this affair, it's going, to be, it's going to be good, but it is a lot of bad. It's a moment of pleasure. Um, that you, this, The greed in our hearts, the lack of peace. I, we're dealing with a culture with anxiety, stress, lack of peace, and a lack of joy. And it's because we are saying we are Christians, but we're still listening to the enemy. And it's time to cut him off. It's time to send him packing. We used to sing this song at a church we were at. I loved it. It was like this um, um, tabernacle music from Brooklyn Tab. And it was like, we went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. The church was shouting screaming and hollering. I was like, man, that is a victorious song because the enemy takes from you. He destroys your life. You give him a moment. He will take years. But when you encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ, we take back what the enemy stole. And you can go back to the enemy's camp, and I'm not saying go there and live, but take it back. The Lord has promised good to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And here it is. They'd rather have the slave food rather than the food of the promised land. Some of you have adopted the phrases, and, and this is it. When God calls you to do something, I can't. Um, or we can't, as a church, even as a family. This is what we need to say today. I can because Christ is with me, or we can because God is for us. You know, I, uh, I was thinking about this giant-sized food. And, you know, I think about when I'm coming out of a diet, and you see these, all this food. And I know this. If I would have saw the giants, and then I saw the, the big-sized food. I was the biggie-sized guy, by the way, for years. I was like, supersize it. I want it all. But if I saw I'd be like, I'm all in. And that's just a little promise of God. The food, uh, those are awesome physical blessings, but God offers us better things, a spiritual blessing. I want you to hear this. The writer to the Hebrews, if you have a chance, go back and read the book of Hebrews. It shows all these better promises of God and it's also an overview of the Old Testament dealing with the Israelites. Hebrews 10:39. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their soul. Church, we are a people that go forward. We don't go back into the world. The world has nothing to offer us. We are of the world, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. God has sent us into the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we do not go back into uh, the world system. The second thing I want you to see today, church, is don't let the enemy in. Now, there are some people who go back to the enemy's camp. They want to go back into slavery. They go back under the authority of Satan. But here, some people invite Satan to the table. Some people invite the enemy back into their lives. And I want you to see the Psalm 23, we read this a lot, typically at funerals these days, because it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But here in verse 25, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God has prepared a place for us and a table, but the enemy doesn't get to come to the table. They are in the vicinity, they are in the world, but they don't have the same blessings that we have from God. Inviting the enemy to the table, into your camp, into your home, would be like the Israelites going back and getting Pharaoh and their slave masters inviting them into the promised land to be part uh, at the table. Now, here it is. There are enemies and there are the people of God. And there's always somebody who says, well, doesn't the Bible tell us to love our enemies? enemies and pray for them. Yes. When Jesus is really talking about, he's talking about because we consider our neighbors our enemy. The good Samaritan was a different ethnicity. And they thought the Samaritans, they were half breeds. They looked at that. The Israelites looked down at them. The Jews looked down at them. And we are to do good to our neighbors, people that we consider our enemies. But there are, in fact, spiritual enemies that are not invited to the table. A lot of people say, well, we don't really have enemies. Read the Old Testament. There are enemies and there's enemies in the New Testament. I want to share this with you. God gave me this this morning. I don't have it on the screen. Paul says this in the book of Philippians. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are people that are warring against the church, or people that are warring against good doctrine, against the teachings of the church. Their end is destruction, the Bible tells us. Their God is their belly. They just want to satisfy their, their perversion, their lust, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, we have a mission. The world is the mission. We preach the gospel. We show kindness and love to the world, but they don't get to determine what we teach. There's another issue we're dealing with today that Jesus told us to feed his lambs. Many churches, denominations, are inviting wolves in to feast on the lambs. We're not doing that. We teach the true gospel, and some of this stuff is hard to deal with, but we're not letting the enemy in to destroy the young people in the church. Here in this psalm is a description of the faithful person as a guest at the meal provided by God. In this you see that God provides our needs, and God provides all our needs according to His riches and glory. Philippians 4.19, God is with us, that's part of His promises of good. There is comfort and care with God, goodness and mercy. And in this, with God's provisions and protection, enemies are powerless to prevent the enjoyment of God's generous hospitality and His goodness in our lives, unless you let them in. If you go back to the enemy's camp, all this is, these things are removed. It's hard. How do you have the peace of God living as an enemy of God? I've already lived as an enemy of God. And He showed me kindness, and I turned to His way. But I warred against God when I was away from God. Some scholars believe that in this text, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Enemies um, here, some scholars believe that this could be a picture of the defeated enemies of Israel. Um, They're taken captive at the victory celebration. There's this victory celebration, and the enemies are in chains now and here we are we're celebrating the goodness of God the point here is do not let the enemy back in now here's something I want to share and this is kind of personal years ago uh, obviously some of you guys know that my mom passed away in February years ago my mom had gotten into a a, a horrible relationship Um, when we were going through her things my brother found a lot of information about abuse and trauma, and things like that, paperwork about these things. My mom, after uh, my father and her divorced, went into bad relationships. And she ended up getting into a relationship with a horrible, abusive man. And uh, she would call us, and he was so bad that he tried to threaten us. And uh, God stayed my hand, praise God, in dealing with that. Uh, We had to call the police and things like these things. But um, we had a plan to rescue my mom from this horrible relationship. And we found a a piece of land with a a little home for her on it, beautiful place near where we lived. And we decided we were going to show up one day and deliver my mom. We showed up with a a U-Haul and a sheriff's deputy that removed the enemy out of the home. And we took my mom's stuff, we got everything that was hers, and we burned up the road, and we we brought her to this place, and it was perfect. And uh, her life was changing, and it was great. But before long, she started talking to the ex again. And before long, he had worked his way back in and had moved in. And I share that with you today because that's very real. That's something we had to deal with. But I share it also with you today because that's what happens a lot of times. That people do well, they've been rescued, they've been delivered from the enemy, and they let them back into their life. The point is, don't let the enemy back in. He will rob you of all the peace and the joy that Jesus Christ has given you. The second thing I want you to see in this text, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Um, This is pointing to the ministry of God to revive our hearts Church, we need to be revived as God's people. We need His healing power. We need His cleansing. We need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The oil also speaks of the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of God and His anointing on our life. Uh, when, When King David sinned against God, he made this confession. Return the joy of my salvation. And maybe some of you have been operating in an in peaceful, unpeaceful life, in depression and darkness, but you confess your sins, ask God to move against the enemy in your life, and He can return the joy of your salvation. Our salvation. My cup runs over. is a symbol of joy. That I have so much joy and blessings of God that it runs over. We need the joy of the Lord in our life. Um, If you go back to the enemy's camp, he will take your joy. If you invite Satan into your home, to your table, to your life, he will rob you of everything you've been working toward. I've watched people for years that relapse, not only in addictions and dependency. I mean, they they start to get, you know, I've been sober three months. They get their thing. I've been doing good. I've quit pornography. I've quit drinking. I've made church in Christ a priority. But there's always going to be a challenge. I mean, you actually have to take your schedule, your life schedule, and bring it under the authority of Jesus Christ because the world will rob you of your time. Your sacred days are stolen by sickness. I've been watching this for years. People get sick on Saturday night. Seriously, th- watch it. I wish you could graph your own life. You start to hear this time and time of the same things. When people get sick, they're calling for prayer and this. It is near the time of worship. Uh, our Wednesdays, if you commit to a small group or things like that, the enemy comes in and things happen to pull you away from that. You're trying to pursue Jesus. You're trying to become friends with more Christians. And then what happens? Uh, a young lady or young man, what, what happens today when they turn 18? There was a young lady that was part of my one of my uh, youth groups and maybe the college group. She posted on on Facebook, "I'm 18, I'm legal now." What a worldly cultural thing to say. What does it mean? And what do you really I'm free of what? I'm legal to do what? Live in sin? Why is that celebrated? I'm 21. You know what that means when I turn 21? Let's go out and get drunk. When my dad was living away from God, he he took my older brother aside when he turned 21. He said, hey, you want to go out to the bar and get drunk? And my brother, who was living for Christ, said, no way. That a young man who had to tell an adult that this was wrong. And the culture keeps inviting us in to do sinful things because we believe the things of the world. Well, I'm 18. It means I can live in sin. I'm 21. I must go out and drink and get drunk and destroy my life. Stop letting the enemy speak into your life. Final thing, church. Give Jesus all. Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything that the world has to offer as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Just to know Jesus has so much value and worth that everything else is as a loss to the Apostle Paul. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as a dung pile. As the dump. Because it's not what it's made to be. It is not as pleasurable as the world makes it out to be. It's not that good. Everything in knowing Christ is great in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. So church, how do I... Not go to the enemy's camp. How do I prevent him from coming into my camp, into my life? The first thing I want you to see here. Give Jesus all. If you give him all, you'll stop compromising. Go to the next slide if you guys would. Um, A lot of people don't know this. If you read the book of Exodus, as Moses is calling Pharaoh out to let the people go, Pharaoh actually enters into a place of compromising with God's people. And he tells Moses... Well, let the men go, but leave the women and children here. And, and, and Moses had to come back. See, we would compromise if we're not careful. Well, okay, just some of us will go. Maybe I will go. I won't go with the whole family. Or, or some of the family would go. My kids will go, but I won't go. And Moses said, no, we are going with everybody. Then Pharaoh came back with the counteroffer again. Go, but don't take the livestock. You can go and worship, just don't take the money Don't take these valuable livestock because we we know you're going to be tied to that because where your finances are, where your value is, your heart is going to be. And Moses said, no, we're taking our livestock with us. In fact, the truth is they end up taking a lot of the the money with them too. Another compromise comes. Go out, but don't go so far. Go and worship God, but only go part of the way. Don't go all the way to the promised land. And there we are, these compromises time and time again. Yeah, you go be a Christian, just don't go all the way. Don't take this thing too serious. Second thing I want you to see, spend more time with Christ and other Christians. You need to sever. There's a period where I love friends, there's family members I love, but there had to be a clear severing so I could spend time with God. Even Paul, when he was called of Jesus Christ and saw Jesus resurrected and Christ called him to go and preach to the Gentiles, he went away to Arabia for three years to spend time with God to know the Word well, and He was a mighty missionary. Sever the relationships that pull you away. Spend more time with Jesus. Distance yourself from the enemy. In the story I began with, Kendra didn't come to herself until she was separated from the captor. She woke up at home with, you know, at home, and then things started to come to her mind, and her mom started to tell her these things don't sound right, but she had to sever the relationship with the enemy. The third thing here is listen to the words of the Savior, not Satan. Jesus says that we are to hear his words, and I know you, and you follow me hear the words of Jesus, of the Savior, of the shepherd, not the enemy, not the wolf, not the one who wants to destroy you. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are freed by the Savior. As we close today, I'm going to ask Jay to come, and I know we've already prayed with our moms. Um, but if you want to come and in a moment, you can come and pray because we have some more things to deal with as we prepare to close. Again, I want to remind you the word to the Hebrews uh, verse 10 through 39. But we are not of those who shrink back but are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We're not those who go back to Egypt. We're not those who go back into the camp of the enemies. We're not those who invite the enemy into our camp, though we are to be friends to the world and teach them the gospel, and love them. We are those who believe and our souls are preserved. Now, when the writer of the Hebrews wrote this, they had not drawn back yet. It's all a warning. He keeps telling them, draw closer to God, draw closer to God. We are not those who draw back. But he was warning them from the danger of doing it because people do it. Draw back in the Greek actually means to take in self. So you can imagine a sailor, you're at sea, you're sailing, if you've ever done that, I've been at sea and I understand um, some of the nautical things. But it means to take down the sail. It means that I'm giving up. It means that we're pulling down the sail and we're just going to be dead in the water and give up and eventually go back to port. And what we need to be doing as Christians is not letting down the sail, not drawing back, not drawing down the sail, but letting it out. That we open it up That we can fully receive the goodness of God. And here's where we are. A discouraging, depressive world. The enemy speaks into your life. And today the calling is this. Let God breathe new life into yourselves. Let the fresh wind that came into the the early church breathe into your life. So here as we close, we're going to open the altars for you to come and just pray this. Whatever it may be, come and pray. Lord, fill my life with fresh wind. Feel my life with your life. Feel my cells again. I feel like I'm, I'm pushing against the world. I feel like taking down the cells. And Jesus is saying, don't give up. Open the cells fully and take in all the goodness of God. If you would close your eyes and, and, and bow your heads as we prepare to close and pray, let's enter into a time of prayer. You can come and pray at the altar and we will pray with you.
1: I believe I'll see you do it again. Fade away. But there is no way. I believe I'll see you do it again. still stay Just far face down on the floor all to echo home.
0: Father in heaven, we thank you for working mightily in our lives. Lord, we thank you that we actually take time to celebrate moms. We thank you for life. We thank you for the blessings of mothers. We pray that you continue to bless them as they bless us. And Lord, I pray that you continue to move in our hearts and our minds. Lord, that we don't go back to the enemy's camp that we don't go back to Egypt, that we don't invite Satan or Pharaoh, the enemies, into our hearts and our lives. Lord, that we stand firm in the faith, that we are empowered by You, filled with Your Spirit and Your words, that we preach the gospel. These are the things that we believe, and we are not backing down from them. We do not compromise with the enemy. We love You. We bless Your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen church, if you would stand with us as we close. I don't know if you're feeling it, but I'm feeling it. The Spirit is moving, so let's give God glory today. Praise His holy name. Now, as we talked about enemies today, of course, Jesus said we are to love and pray for our enemies. And I want you to do that. If there's somebody in your life that you're struggling with, I'm a big believer in parting ways from those who would draw you away from Christ. But we still love them and we still pray for their salvation. Amen. Continue to pray for one another. Church, you are loved by God. You're loved by your church family. You're loved by your pastor. Go in grace and peace. And uh, bless your moms. You are dismissed. Have a good week.